Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as you take a seat, and as our kids head back with Miss Rhonda, uh, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we continue right along with our, our series in 2 Timothy that we're simply calling a final word as this is um, Timothy's last uh, or Paul's last letter that we have. And, and as he realizes that he's coming to the end of his life, um, this is a, as I've said, this is a much more personal letter to, to Timothy than, than 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy really addressed Timothy as, as pastor at Ephesus. And this letter is really addressed to Timothy as uh, Paul's son in the faith. Much more personal, much more intimate uh, letter. And yet, still dealing with uh, so, some life and, and ministry issues uh, because uh, sometimes pastors, uh, personal life and, and ministry life kind of blends together sometimes. And it's hard to separate the, the two out. And, and Paul understands that. Um, so last week, as we began in, in verses 3 through uh, 7, we, we looked really at at the need for godly leaders, and he said especially uh, men, not, not only men, we, we need godly women to, to lead in places as well, but, but especially men, and we, we need godly men in our homes, in our churches, and, and in our society. We talked about how uh, Paul had poured in to Timothy, how Paul reminded Timothy of, of the heritage of faith that existed in his own family, and then, and then Paul really served as a, as a mentor and, and discipler to Timothy, and now Timothy is, is doing that to others. And, and so we saw about this legacy of faith that's being carried on uh, in the life and, and work of Timothy. And this morning, uh, we're going to shift gears just a bit, because uh, that's where, where Paul shifts, and, and we're going to talk about the reality of suffering in the life of Paul and, and also in the life of all believers. And what we're going to simply see this morning is that the gospel is worth living for and even, yes, worth dying for. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Paul. So if you have uh, 1 Timothy, uh, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, beginning of verse 8, let's stand together as we read the word of the Lord. First, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Paul says, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the reality of the gospel that's laid out here, the beauty of the gospel that's worth giving our lives for in in life, and yes, even if we're called in death. 
So I pray through this passage this morning, you would show us what it looks like to live as men, women, and children committed to the gospel, to live for the sake of the gospel. Will you show us what that looks like this morning? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So we're simply going to ask, what do we learn in this passage this morning about what it means to follow after Christ? What does it mean to live for the gospel? And, and yes, what does it mean even perhaps to die for the gospel? Well, the first thing that we see here is that if we're, we're going to live uh, for the sake of the gospel, the, the first principle that we see is that we can't be, we're called to not be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Now, now it's interesting that Paul would launch right out of here, right? So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. It's, it's an interesting way to start off the, the body of the letter. Uh, Paul to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. I thank God for you. You're doing so well. Don't be ashamed of me. Like, like if you're a parent, your first question, like if you get a call from your kid and it's don't be ashamed of me, your first question is what did you do? Right? Or, or kind of like the, you know, don't worry, mom, we're all fine. What happened? Right? And so what we get here is not that, not that Timothy was maybe already feeling ashamed, but, but apparently there were some people who were turning away from Paul. Apparently there were some folks who were already deserting him because of the stigma that was attached uh, to, to being associated with a man who uh, was in prison and awaiting execution. Suddenly it wasn't comfortable for, for folks to be associated with Paul. Maybe there was some fear that was creeping into their lives. Well, you see what's happened to Paul if, if, we, if we're still uh, aligned with him, it could very well be that, that we're going to be treated the same way that Paul was. And so what we see in this letter is, is even in chapter 1, verse 15, uh, Paul says that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and, and Hermogenes. And then towards the end of the book, in, in chapter 4, verse 10, uh, Paul says that Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world. So while Paul's not trying to insinuate here that, that Timothy's ashamed of him or that, that he's about to desert him, this is a reality that Paul's experienced. And he's reminding Timothy of the importance of not just not being ashamed of Paul, but not being ashamed of the gospel. Because Paul will say, the reason I am suffering is for the sake of the gospel. I'm in chains because of the gospels. We'll see here in just a minute. So the question then, if... if Paul, in, in verse 8, says, don't be ashamed of me, uh, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. So the question is then, how can we share in suffering for the gospel? Because that doesn't sound like much fun. I don't know about you, I have an aversion to suffering, right? I mean, and everything in our society is built around uh, trying to relieve suffering of some sort, right? You, you go to Walmart, and there's a whole section in the pharmacy department that's called what? Pain relief, right? We, we don't like to suffer, we, and, we, and we want to alleviate suffering wherever we see it, in, not only in our lives, but in the world around us. So the question then is, can you and I really be people who have the power 
to willingly suffer for the gospel. And to that I would simply say, well, on our own, no, we can't. On our own, you, you can't and, and I can't. But thankfully, as followers of Christ, we don't have to do it on our own because right after Paul calls Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel, he gives us what I think is the key, relying on the power of God. So on my own, in my own power, I don't have the ability to suffer. But if I rely on God's power, I can. In fact, one of the most well-known verses and one of the most well-known and also one of the most um, often misquoted and misused verses in the entire New Testament is probably Philippians 4.13. You might know it, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We, we, we like that verse. We'll slap it on coffee mugs. We'll put it on t-shirts. Uh, we'll put it on football helmets, right? We, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a catchy verse. We'll put it up in our teenager's room, you know, with like a picture of a, of a, uh, like a silhouette making a jump shot or something like that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, the problem when we rip that out of context is that we miss that, that Paul's actually talking about that in relation to what he's experienced in life. As we back up just a verse, he says this in Philippians 4.12, I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And so that doesn't just apply, right? Like, like when the ball's in my hands with two seconds left, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can nail the three-quarter court shot to win the everything. It's not quite what he's getting at there. He's saying what Christ strengthens me to do is to live wherever I find myself in his strength. Whether that's in plenty or that's in need. Whether that's in times of freedom or times of suffering and persecution. So throughout Paul's entire life, as he looks back at this point, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is important when you realize that even as he's writing the, the letter to, to the Philippians, he's writing from jail. And this book, the, whose, which primary theme is joy, he writes as he's most likely chained to a prison guard in, in, a, in the dungeon of a prison. And this is what would lead him to write in, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, these words that may be familiar to you as well. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because he knows what he was saved from. He understands who he was before Christ got a hold of him. We'll look at his testimony a little bit later this morning. But, but Paul understands that God called him out of darkness into marvelous light, as Peter will later write. He's even willing to suffer pain, uh, to suffer imprisonment, and, and even death for the sake of the gospel because he understands the gospel's power. 
and he's come to know Christ, this one who saved him. In fact, this is his testimony. Just listen. I, I didn't put this verse in your notes. It's not on the screen. Just, just listen to Paul's testimony about what he experienced for the sake of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. That's important because the Jews, it was believed that 40 lashes would kill a person. And so the a frequent sentence was 40 lashes minus one. The idea being that we are literally beating you within an inch of your life. And Paul says he got that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I, was, once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I have faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship. Many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. And he doesn't stop there. Listen to this. He goes on. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Okay? So he just mentioned all these things. I'm suffer- I've, I've suffered uh, the five lashes minus one. I've been beaten with rods. I've been stoned. Um, I, I've, been, I've been shipwrecked three times. Uh, dangers everywhere I go. And on top of that... I got to put up with y'all. That's Kyle's, right? that's, that's paraphrase of what he's saying there. There's the daily pressure on me from all the churches. I got to worry about all you people too. And yet as, as he's going through this, this isn't like he's complaining about it. It's not like he's, he's groaning and having a, a pity party. Woe is me that I've had to do all this. There's a joy behind this. A joy that he understands because he's been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And at the end of his life, as we'll see here in a few weeks, towards the end of 2 Timothy, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. It's not been easy, but, but I've, I've been able to do that in God's strength and in his power in my life. Folks, listen, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to save. And and listen, at the end of the day, the worst thing that can happen to us in this life is that we lose our life. And and Paul tells us to to live as Christ, to die as gain. At the end of it all, if, if we are followers of Christ, even if our faith leads us to the end of this earthly life, we win. Not because of how good we are, but because of how great God is. But there's a second piece to this, too, that I want us to understand. Not only are we not to be ashamed of the gospel, but Paul would also say, don't be ignorant of the gospel. See, see, here's the truth, right? If we as followers of Christ are unsure whether or not the gospel is worth living for and, and whether or not it's worth dying for, then I'm afraid we've simply misunderstood the gospel. Because for Paul, there was never a question. Let's read this, starting in verse 9. He says, and we'll go through the first half of verse 12. He said, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. Back to the end of the section, Paul, uh, just after he laid out the, the truth of the gospel and what God has done for us, he says, that's why I suffer these things. Because he's, he understands what God in Christ Jesus has done for him. He, res, he understands how he's been rescued from being an enemy of God to one called by God to spread the gospel. So, so then what is this gospel? If, it's, if we're not to be ignorant of it and yet we're not to be ashamed of it, what is it? Let's, let's make sure that we're, that we're using the same language here. What is the gospel? And I think it's simply three words that he uses in the beginning of, four words in, in the CSB in the beginning of verse 9. He has saved us. What's the gospel? The gospel is simple. It's God saves sinners. Now that's only good news if you're a sinner. Good thing is the Bible tells us that everybody's a sinner, right? So listen, the, the gospel's good news. God saves sinners. But what's even better than that is that he doesn't save sinners because of anything that's inherently good in us. Like God did not look at you one day and say, Man, they've got some awesome qualities. Like, I better save them because they'd be a really valuable asset for my kingdom. And there are, some, there are some things in the kingdom I'd like to do, but I can't do it until this person gets saved. No. It's not the way God operates. God doesn't need you or me to accomplish anything. And yet he chooses to use us. In fact, down here, uh, Paul says, that it's not according to our works in verse 9, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. And look at these three words, before time began. So I think we need to understand that, that, that sending Jesus to earth to be the Savior of the world was not some last-minute plan B that God had to concoct after Adam and, sin, Adam and Eve sinned. God wasn't up in heaven just kind of twiddling his thumbs and all of a sudden going, what are they doing? He knew exactly how this was going to play out. From before the moment that he created Adam and Eve, he knew they would reject him. And he knew the lengths that he would go to rescue his people. He knew the pain it would cause him. He knew what it would be like to send his only son. And because of his great love for his people, he did it anyway. And if it's true that God sent Jesus to die for sinners, that God made the way for those who were hopeless. This is the best news the world has ever seen or heard. And so listen, maybe you're here this morning and, and you, you've simply lost sight of this somewhere along the way and, 
And, and sometimes I think as believers we can get into this mindset that, uh, well, the gospel was good news when I was a sinner. But, but now since I've become a believer, like, I, I, isn't it time that we move on from this? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we be going into like deeper truths and like, you know, let's dive into Revelation and figure out what all that means. And, and, and then I'll be a mature Christian. No, listen, as followers of Christ, we never get beyond the gospel. Do you know why? Because there is nothing beyond the gospel. And yet the, the more and more I've studied this and the more I've come to understand it, the more I realize I don't understand it. We will never plumb the depths of the gospel. I like, I like a quote uh, talking about uh, the, the reformer Martin Luther, who, uh, whom it was said, would come to church every weekend and he would just preach the gospel over and over. God's, God saves sinners through Jesus Christ, repent and be saved. And, and his church, after a while, kind of got tired of hearing the same message over and over. And, and so they, they went to him and they said, uh, uh, Martin, you, you keep preaching this same message to us over and over. Like, surely we're ready to move on to something else. And his response was essentially, no, you're not. He said, because what I see week after week is people who walk through these doors who look like they don't believe the gospel. And who walk out looking like they don't believe the gospel. He said, so until we look like we're gonna, we believe the gospel, we're not moving on. And I think the secret to that is, and here's the key, we don't move on. We don't move on. Because if you ever lose sight of the fact of the glorious truth that God saved you by sending his only son. When we were unworthy, we've missed the boat completely. We've missed the point. Don't get over that fact that God saved us when we were unworthy. In fact, here at the end, Paul, um, in verse 11, Paul says, For this gospel I was appointed, a herald, apostle, and teacher. He says, and that is why I suffer these things. Because I'm proclaiming this gospel. Even when people were, were telling him, you should stop, you can't say that anymore. Or like a like Peter and John who were, who were arrested and, and beaten and then they were released on, on the condition that, that they don't go preach anymore. We'll, we'll release you, but you can't go preach. And you know what they did? They went right back and started preaching. And the, the officials came to them in Acts 4 and said, what are you doing? Like, I just told you, don't do this. Their response is, is essentially, Look, if this is wrong, I guess that, that's up, for, up to you to decide. As for us, we have to obey God rather than man. And I get the sense here that he, as Paul's looking back over his life, as he understands that, that his physical life is coming to an end soon, that he looks back and, and he wouldn't change a thing. Like, I, don't, I don't read regret in these words here. That's why I suffer these things as a preacher and as a teacher, and it's worth it. Because of this truth, this is what he declared in the beginning of, of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. 
What a glorious message to us. We've been saved, not because you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, because God is great. God doesn't need us to be awesome because he is awesome. And here's the last thing for us this morning in the second half of verse 12. I believe Paul would tell us to be confident in the gospel. This is how he finishes this. But I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. And in, in, when he says that day at the end, he's simply referring to that, that day when Christ returns and everything is set right. He says, listen, I, I, I know, I'm confident in who I've placed my trust. And I believe he will protect me. And even with the suffering that he's endured, He's convinced that God has not forgotten him. He's convinced that Almighty God will save him. If not physically in this world, he will rescue him spiritually in the next. This is, this is Paul's Timothy, or Paul's testimony in 1 Timothy. This is Paul's testimony. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus, might demonstrate the extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Why, why would Paul say, I'm not, I'm not ashamed because I know known whom, I, whom I've believed in, and I trust that he's got this? It goes back to who he was before he became a believer because he understands what God did in his life. He understands the transformation that happened on the road to Damascus. When he was on his way to arrest Christians, not expecting he was going to become one on the way. All right, so as we wrap up this morning, okay, so, so this is all well and good, right? So we've talked about suffering and we talked about how the gospel's worth it. So then the question is, how can we be prepared to suffer for the sake of, of the gospel. Well, I, I think, I think if that's the question that's running through your mind, I think that's the wrong question. So the question is not, how can I be prepared to suffer? Does that mean I don't need to stockpile guns and weapons and like, like should I not, you know, go all doomsday on this, on this thing? Well, probably not, but that's another discussion. Because I think asking the question, how can I be prepared to suffer is, is the wrong question. I think the right question is simply this. How can I live for Christ? How can I live for the sake of the gospel? Because if we learn to live for the sake of the gospel, suffering for it won't seem like such a large task. So some things I want us to understand really quickly about, about suffering. First of all, uh, I believe suffer, suffering for the gospel is supernatural. It's not something that you and I can do on our own. It's only something we can do uh, as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit inside of us. 
But understand that with Christ, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that means that I live comfortably for the rest of my life. Praise his name. If I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel, as Paul would say, so that, so that he could suffer on behalf of believers and, and, and believers might be strengthened because of his time in prison, he would say, praise his name. Then the question, all right, how, how do I experience that power of the Holy Spirit? Well, by, first of all, by trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's how we get the Holy Spirit in us. By turning from sins and trusting in Jesus. And then progressively as we come to know Christ, the plans that he has for us, we come to walk in and walk alongside the Spirit. And I think it's important, too, that, that, to understand that we don't, we never suffer alone as believers. The Bible gives us a history of people who've known Christ and, and have served him and who have suffered for him. And uh, In fact, in, in one chapter in Hebrews 11, that reminds us of many of the Old Testament saints who lived their lives by faith, which oftentimes brought suffering. In the local church, we... We have other believers who are called to weep with us when we weep and to rejoice with us when we rejoice, to suffer with those who suffer. See, the blessing of the local church isn't just that we show up on a Sunday morning and, and check in and ask everybody how the week was. The, the design of the local church is that we would have a community of other believers to walk alongside in life. In the ups and in the downs and everything in between. As we close this morning, there's, a, there's an old hymn that was written specifically out of the second half of verse 12. Called, I know whom I have believed. And these are the words. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing us of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. The last verse says, I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk the veil with him, referring to the valley of death, or meet him in the air. The chorus says this, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. There are a lot of things in life that we don't know, right? How does the Spirit move in, in us and and, and, and change hearts? How does he, how does he move us from, from death to life? What is, how exactly does that play out in, in our lives? I don't have the answer for that. But I know he does it as unworthy sinners trust in him. And I know whom I've believed.
I'm convinced that he is working in me. He's working in you. He's working through this body that we call First Baptist Church to shape and mold us into the image of Christ, individually and together. And I'm persuaded that he's able to continue that until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the blessing of your word and the blessing of seeing the stories of of men and women that have gone before us. I thank you for the courage and the joy that we see here in the life of Paul, even as he's suffering for the sake of the gospel. And I pray that that would give us confidence this morning. To know that no matter what we face in life, whether that's physical health issues, whether that's suffering that comes because of persecution, that you are faithful. And that in our suffering, whatever form that may take, we would boldly declare the gospel. Will you show us how to do that? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.